What's up, everyone? Jason Vest from the After Red Podcast here with you today. Brief hiatus, getting some things in order. Great problem to have, but things are getting really busy. Today on the show with me, though, I have a good friend of mine, Will Morris. Will Morris is the founder and CEO of Ed Connective. Uh, Ed Connective is a online digital platform um, where teachers can get feedback based on uh, video observation. It's a great concept, great company. Uh, this company was just accepted into Lighthouse Labs um, Accelerator program here in Richmond. This guy's doing a lot of big things. So tune in, um, hear from Will. All right, everybody, you're in for a treat today. Uh, have with uh, me on the show today, Will Morris. Will, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, my pleasure, man. All right, so look, uh, we've we've met in person once. We've we've talked a little bit um, over the past several months, man. And I'm just a huge fan of what you're doing. But for anybody that's not familiar with you or your work. Um, could you tell us a little bit about who you are uh, and what it is that you do? Yeah. So, you know, at Ed Connective, I'm the founder and CEO, and our mission is to help ensure a highly effective teacher in every classroom. And the reason for that is, uh, as all educators, you know, will, will and what the research shows as well and what I learned in grad school after working at a charter school is this once a student enters the school really the quality of the teacher in the classroom is the most powerful variable that affects student outcomes period and so uh, for me when I looked at how I can make an impact in the space I got really interested in well how do we move that needle on teacher quality when teacher effectiveness, if it's that single most important school level variable. And, you know, what I learned uh, by really just looking at the landscape, looking at the highest performing school networks, some of them in the nation, what they had in common is they invested heavily into teacher coaching, to teacher feedback loops to help their teachers go from good to great. Uh, really, what uh, I have uncovered and my really my hypothesis is the quickest way to get a teacher going from good to great or from great to outstanding is to pour feedback, non-evaluative feedback uh, into that teacher. And so, you know, looked at some charter schools like Mastery Charter Network uh, in Philadelphia, New Jersey, where they're doing 12 observations uh, in terms of a coaching cycle for a teacher in six weeks for 75 percent of their teaching staff throughout their network. So not just the, the, the squeaky wheels getting the grease, but really saturating our intensive, non-evaluative feedback. And so that's why uh, I ended up coming to what we do at Ed Connective now is because that theory being great, uh, the big pain point, the challenge or the hiccup in executing such a model is just capacity. Administrators say, well, that's all well and good. I love feedback for teachers. If I could, I'd be in classrooms every single day, all day long. But the realities of being an administrator now now is that uh, I'm pulled in 10 different directions every day. As the building manager, as the instructional leader, I am putting out fires every day with parents, 
students and staff, or uh, sometimes I'll do a beautiful evaluation, but then I'll go back into my classroom to write it up, and my radio starts chirping, and I have to run out the office again. So it's a capacity challenge for the average administrator to do the types of things with teachers that really will help every teacher uh, go from good to great. And so we solve that at Connector by coaching teachers online. Okay, so Will, you kind of alluded to it, and and I, you know, and I don't want you to have to repeat, but I think my question is a little bit different um, than what you already talked about. But yeah, so principals are busy; they got a lot of things going on, um, and I'm sure that they all wish that they could be in the classroom more. But when they are in there, um, why aren't just those principal observations good enough for teachers to grow? Right. So there's a couple factors there that I see when I'm having conversations with school leaders and with teachers. And, you know, the biggest thing is just uh, psychologically, when an administrator walks into the classroom, um, there is this air of it being high stakes for the teacher. There is an air of it somehow being threatening, uh, that they're being raided, uh, even if they aren't. Uh, And in the climate that you know, we've been in for the last 10 years or so in education, uh, really we've been programmed as educators to kind of fear that principle. And it's just the very presence of that administrator changes the classroom environment. So teachers will, you know, put on the, the dog and pony show, if you will. And, you know, the principal isn't watching authentic instruction. You know, they're watching that teacher who is scared to be vulnerable to show off their weaknesses or their growth areas because it's that person in power that's, that's viewing them. And so that, that very nature is very challenging. A lot of times school leaders say, well, Hey, when your coaches come in and provide feedback to teachers, sometimes your coaches are saying the same exact thing that I am saying as an administrator. But the fact that it's coming from someone outside of, uh, other than myself, uh, dynamically changes how receptive the teachers are to the feedback. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and it just it kind of reminds me of uh, you know telling telling a student one thing and he or she really holding on to those words and really internalizing them and then essentially changing their behavior because of what I said. And then you know you bring in their parents and like, man, I've been telling you that for ten years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Same phenomenon. And the other big reason why administrator observations aren't enough is just the very structure of the administrative observation. And so one, uh, if you look at a formal evaluation, you know, this is something that uh, occurs uh, infrequently, you know, once, twice, maybe three times a year. And what we're seeing in terms of uh, the coaching that's most effective, the feedback that Uh, that's most effective for teachers is when that feedback occurs frequently over the course of consecutive months or consecutive weeks. And the reason why is probably one of the most challenging aspects of professional development or teacher growth is achieving change in teacher practice. Uh, Research suggests that about 10% of content will transfer over from a classic professional development workshop into classroom practice. So it's that transfer, it's that change in behavior that's the tough part. And you really start to see that change in behavior, not only learning conceptually new strategies, but also implementing those new strategies when feedback is consistently given over a period of time. You know, and 
questions and you go to implement it and you implement it okay, but you could have done a little bit better. And then you have a quick feedback loop where you get feedback again on the same thing in week two. You can start to quickly build muscle memory and automaticity around something versus your formal observation, which is classically, uh, you know, one in the fall, one in the spring, very spread out. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, you we talk as educators all the time about modeling what we want out of our students and we talk about how important that feedback loop is and consistent feedback and um, very intentional feedback and it, it, you know what you guys are doing what service you're providing um, is just that exactly exactly so look one of the things um, that I always end up telling my students and uh, on occasion colleagues is that um, some people, when you're really trying to change things up, um, they're going to love what you do, and some are going to doubt what you're doing and essentially hate on you for trying to change things. Uh, so, Will, I'm curious, and you don't need to name names, but uh, what do your haters and doubters say uh, about you and, you know, maybe Ed Connective as a company? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, all sorts of things, uh, you know, rightfully so, where people would have apprehensions with the type of uh, work we do. You know, our work is heavily, is video-based. It's entirely remote. Teachers record instruction. They share that with the master educator on our end who will provide that live feedback over video chat. So, of course, you have questions about, well, are people going to be comfortable recording themselves? You're going to have questions about, well, can you build a relationship with somebody uh, remotely? How does that even work? You know, you have questions about, um, you know, who are these people that you're connecting uh, our teachers with? Are they, you know, based in our state, city and state? And, you know, does that matter? And, you know, those types of questions uh, we, we receive, you know, pretty frequently. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's okay and it's, you know, part of starting something new is validating that we can uh, overcome some of those objections and some of those challenges to still be effective, uh, you know, with master educators. All right, Will, I got another uh, tough question for you. A friend of mine, Don Wetrick, um, really great educator just outside of Indianapolis, um, who has a foot in the education space, but really uh, doing some innovative things um, in regards to entrepreneurship. Um, and he says that, or one of the things he always is quoting, and, and I'm paraphrasing, is essentially that every kid doesn't need and, and won't um, be an entrepreneur, but every kid should learn to think like one. And you yourself are an entrepreneur, so I'm interested what your thoughts are about that quote. Yeah, I wholeheartedly believe in that. Um, you know, if I could go and redo my own education, I wish I would have been taught through an entrepreneurial lens earlier on. Um, so what, skill, know, what skills do you take away? Like what the, the entrepreneur mindset, like what does that look like in your eyes? Right. So one, it's starting with a problem. And the learning occurring through figuring out how to solve the problem. And so we're not just learning 
or, or learning random content just because I feel like, hey, to graduate from high school, I, I, I need to know calculus and I need to be at AP 12. But instead, really the learning pathway being directed by whatever problem or interest the, the student or, or the person has. And so for me, you know, I am a, a liberal arts guy, went to William & Mary, uh, majored in psychology, learned nothing, <laughs> not that much useful for, uh, for, for modern day business. But when I started the company is when I learned all these cool new competencies that I never would have learned otherwise. And it was all through, uh, I solve problems. Oh, I don't have a website and I need a presence. And so I'm just going to figure out how to build a website, you know, go to Squarespace and learn just YouTube video after YouTube video. until I figure it out or, oh man, now I'm hiring employees and now I have to learn about like payroll. And so I just like read up a little bit and figure it out. And so it's just kind of going from challenge to challenge and, you know, figuring out how to solve it, you know, based on the challenge that you're facing instead of the other way, just, all right, let's learn how to use Excel and then try to figure out how to apply it to something. And so that problem-based learning uh, is huge. And I think the other big need for a student uh, in this in this space or just this in entrepreneurial lens, I think the big thing is just having a growth mindset and just really uh, being open and willing, just, just being hungry, because uh, that's the key. It's like, if you find something that the, the student is passionate about, you know, they can they can figure out how to solve the problem, no matter how many disciplines that that that, that spreads across. Yeah, I was uh, eating dinner last night with a friend of mine, actually a former teacher of mine, and we were he's in town for a conference, and we were talking about um, something that uh, Christopher M. Dean said, a guy from Columbia, author and speaker, uh, and he looked at all of the educators, uh, which were mostly administrators in the audience and I think he said there were like three or four hundred out there uh, and he told them all to hold up their cell phone and he said that every single thing that we are teaching kids in public school today can be found by that device in your hand so what are you gonna go back and do differently and I mean really if you think about it like yeah th this class that I've told you about we're doing some things that are different and yes there are pockets of things that are being done differently but man still across the board that is as true as it gets. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's very salient. Um, you're right. I mean, <laughs> it's not about the memorization of that content uh, anymore. Just with that that access to the internet, it's really about what behaviors are we teaching students that will uh, transfer into, you know, their long term uh, skill sets. So, you know, entrepreneurship is certainly the place for that. Once once you learn it. You know, you can apply that to a job or, or building a business. Um, it's really applicable to any way to sustain yourself, you know, as an adult. All right, so we're, we're kind of beating around, around the bush of what really works. Um, but, Will, you know, if we could change one thing about K-12 education, you're given a magic wand by someone, uh, change one thing, what would it be? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I think for me, I think a big thing would be uh, career based learning, and so really starting with the end in mind for students and letting them 
really have that application of, of knowledge, you know, that really clear linear tie between whatever they're doing to whatever job they may be interested and just really embedded in, in everything that we do. And I think that would, you know, increase not only our, our employment numbers, but our, our graduation numbers as well, uh, just making things more relevant um, instead of always trying to figure out, well, why am I doing this other than being a good student? So that's, that's one of many, but the first one I could think of. <laughs> yeah, and Will, I, I'm, I'm not letting you off the hook, man, uh, only, only because I know you can handle it. So whose responsibility does that ultimately fall on? Like, I don't think that there's anyone that would disagree with what you just said, but if we're trying to teach with a career, um, you know, and work our way backwards, like, is that someone's responsibility in that particular field? Uh, is it the teacher? Is it the parent? Um, how do we, like, how do we make that happen? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think that uh, it certainly isn't on any one particular stakeholder. You know, all the responsibility can be placed in that realm. You know, I'm a big fan of community psychology and the school of prevention. So preventing, you know, ounce of, you know, how do we prevent uh, some of these deleterious effects that students will face if, if they don't, you know, do well in school. And you know, in that realm, you have the home, the school, and the community. And in each one of those realms, there are interventions, there are programs, there are endeavors that we can uh, deploy to move the needle in the right direction. And so, you know, I think we'd be re remiss to say, hey, it's got to be the parents or, hey, it's got to be the, uh, the, the educators. It really, there are things we can be doing in each realm sometimes in tandem, to all be moving the ball forward. Yeah, well, I saw uh, Ted Fujimoto posted something the other day, and he said, uh, he was talking about the achievement gap, and he said, um, ultimately, um, bringing up achievement gap and, and opportunity gap, and he said, we need to stop thinking about achievement gaps because those are focused on outputs. What we need to do is shift our thoughts to the opportunity gaps, which then allows us to create more inputs for students. And I, that just really rang true with me, and it reminded me of what you just said. Right, right. That's, uh, I totally agree with that school of thought, and that's something that was inculcated and beat into my head by my uh, one of my advisors in college. She wouldn't even let me say achievement gap. <laughs> just so it, it was really uh, you know, emphasizing the opportunity piece of it. All right, Will, you made it through the easy part, man. I got the tough part for you. We call this the rapid 10 and 10. And so I'm going hit to hit you with 10 questions real quick. And the only rule is that you got to try to answer them as quickly as possible. All right. All right, man. Coffee, tea, or water? Coffee. Are you a morning person or night owl? I'm turning into a morning person. If you had a chance to relax, would it be by the fire or by the beach? That fireplace, man. Can't go wrong with that fireplace. All right. Will, I know, uh, I know you're a relatively younger guy, so what's on your go-to playlist right now on your phone? Ooh, go-to playlist. Go-to playlist. I'm, like, looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's go-to playlist lately. I have to say, it's like 2000s hip-hop and R&B. 
Nice, man. Reliving the glory days. Uh-huh. All right, so look, sticking with music, what's the best concert you've ever been to? The Roots, man. By far, The Roots. Where was the show? It was in Williamsburg, Virginia, actually, nice. at the College of Women Mary, yeah. Okay. All right, um, three people that you'd like to have dinner with. Oh, got to go with my man Obama. Got to go with um, probably Trevor Noah. And, and with uh, maybe a, a J. Cole. All right, so you somehow managed to coordinate schedules and you got the three of them together. <laughs> you guys are standing there and... You need to go to eat somewhere. So look, man, you're you're local. You're in Richmond. So where are you gonna take those guys to eat in RVA? I need a specific restaurant. A specific restaurant. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? I, I might have to just just go. Like I would just have to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would do, I'd take him to. I take him to M and F. It's a Jamaican food truck in the parking lot. <laughs> and that Shaco Bottom, you, you know, was post up on the picnic tables and we just had to get that uh that curry and that jerk chicken. Man, I don't know any of those guys that you mentioned, but I swear that would probably be the best invitation to a dinner they've ever had. <laughs> All right, so look, man, what's a uh, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Because I know you're a busy guy. You're working all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I really like MMA. And so there's a gym close to where I live. I really am not in there as much as I'd like to be just because I'm busy. <laughs> but uh, if I had more time, that's probably where I'd be. All right, Will. So, look, um, the... Um, the kids that I taught this past year that have kind of motivated me to do what I'm doing, they are eighth graders, former eighth graders. They're getting ready to start high school in like a month. So these are 14-year-olds. Um, I want you to try to think back for a minute, put yourself in their shoes, and give them some advice for getting ready to walk into high school for the first time. Yeah. Um, oh, high school, man. Mm. You know, Academically, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd actually encourage them to never dwell in the comfort and the safety of, you know, general education classes. You know, a lot of times where uh, they'll have opportunities to just do gen ed or, like, do something that's a little bit harder, like AP or IB or just your advanced level course. And so, you know, when you have that opportunity, just, just uh, roll the dice and take the harder course. And they're going to be a lot more um, better off for it. I think uh, socially, you know, confidence kills. Just, just be confident. doesn't matter what you look like or what your style is or whatever. Just, like, just be confident and just rock out and you'll be all right. And then lastly, it gets better. <laughs> when you get to college, like, everything's ten times better. And there's an, there's not a lot, of, a lot of social groups to fall into sometimes in high school, but for everybody so just make it through <laughs> just get to college You'll be alright Will I love it man look final question I know where I can find you I know how to get in touch with you but for people that want to hear more about your work uh, or the work of Ed Connective 
Uh, how did they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, they could find us um, at Ed Connective for our Twitter handle, and you know, they can just go to Google Ed Connective. Uh, it'll bring us to our website, E-D-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. Or, uh, you know, they can shoot me an email at will at edconnective.com. All right, Will Morris, I appreciate you, sir. All right, thanks, Jason. And I'm going to go ahead and stop this. Hey, everybody, what's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing. We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter, at Mr. Vest RVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. Also, if you want to check out what my students are doing from this innovation class that I always reference, check them out on the various social platforms at InnovateHC. That's the number eight, InnovateHC. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day.